Locked On Podcast Network and Odyssey present Locked On Sports Today. Judge Sue Robinson recommended a much shorter suspension for Deshaun Watson than we thought was coming. We'll break down the legal side of the Watson ruling. And if you're a Major League Baseball seller, who is the top prospect that you're chasing? I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the can't-miss stories and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on sports today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. Six games. That was all that Judge Sue Robinson recommended Deshaun Watson be suspended after a slew of sexual misconduct claims the NFL was pushing for an extended punishment a year or more, whereas Deshaun Watson was pushing for, in fact, no punishment at all. Joining me now from Locked On Browns, Jeff Lloyd. And and Jeff, just start with the basic fundamental part of this. When you heard the six games, what was your reaction? I think it's kind of where we thought the sweet spot was. My overall reaction is the Browns just wouldn't need this answer. Um, you know, you don't lose much the first three or four practices, and you don't lose much before you hit pads in camp. But knowing Coach Stefanski and Andrew Barry and the way this organization is run, you know, very, very smart people, they had probably a plan in place for, is it two weeks? Is it five weeks? Is it eight weeks? Is it 12 weeks? How are we going to handle summer camp? Because granted, we have two quarterbacks that are brand new to our system. One of them, in Jacoby Brissett, is going to be the starter for the foreseeable future. But meanwhile, we have one guy we got to get acclimated for the next five seasons. And whenever we do get him back, if we do get him back in 2022, you know, we need to have him as ready as possible. So it's a fine line what they're working with here where they have to get two quarterbacks ready, knowing the one that they never want to play again once October 23rd comes around, um, getting him ready. But meanwhile, having that one ready to go. So when you put him in the lineup against the Ravens on October 23rd, it's either A, going to be able to help out what went wrong the first six weeks or just to not stop a good team with great potential either way from maybe going off the tracks for a week or two, which could be crucial in the AFC. After the suspension was announced, Deshaun Watson went out to practice and was was met with cheers from Browns fans. I'm not going to ask you to weigh in on you know the morality or the ethics of that part of this, but part of what makes this network great is our hosts have the pulse of the fan base and understand what fans are looking for, what they're cheering about. So I'm going to ask it this way. What do you think fan reaction will be when we ultimately see Deshaun Watson on the field, whether it's in six games, eight games, 10 games, whatever it is? As much as I think, you know, this world, we've evolved as human beings. We try to be more open and understanding about, you know, things that are, you know, essentially imperfect. Um, this is, you know, for a lot of people, this is a fantasy world. The NFL is very similar to films, whatever. It, you know, if the Cleveland Browns are your thing and they have always been a suffering franchise and you tasted some success in 2020 with this team and now understanding and looking at it last year, it was built, it played well. The defense was really great as the year went on. Some moves were made before you made this move. If you think Deshaun Watson is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL as far as playing is concerned, it's probably a fair statement to say. And looking at the deficiencies this team had last year, you know, if you were a fan and you think that this team maybe is finally close, you you know, I always have this thing is you can't tell people how to fan. So, you know, if people want to say, you know, I understand all of that, 
Not a fan of it. I would never want this gentleman within 100 feet of my family, whatever, yada, 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 if you want to go to that extreme. But they truly want to sit down and watch the Cleveland Browns play football and win. There are a lot of people who have been, you know, either A, don't care, or B, have found a way to separate one thing from the other because their fandom is that strong. They want their team to be that good. Stay up to date on the Cleveland Browns by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and the Locked On Browns podcast on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Coming up, we dive into the legal details of the ruling and what comes next for the NFL. Here's what to look for on Bet Online, your number one spot for all of your gambling needs. Trade deadline day is some interesting lines to look at. Max Scherzer pitched last night, Jacob deGrom pitching tonight. Yeah, the Mets are scary right now. Bet Online likes the Metropolitans a lot against the Nationals with the odds to win minus 275 for New York on the road. The Toronto Blue Jays are also favorites on the road and against the Tampa Bay Rays. Bet Online likes the Jays minus 141. And the Philadelphia Phillies visiting the Atlanta Braves. Bet Online likes the Braves to win it minus 215. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. The New York Yankees got Frankie Montas and didn't have to give up the big-time prospects to get him. This is Stacey Gotsoulias of Locked On Yankees, and the Yankees made another trade, this time with the Oakland A's. Now, we knew Frankie Montas was a choice for the Yankees, and especially when Luis Castillo went to the Mariners. Well, now he's a Yankee, along with Lou Trevino. And the Athletics get in return pitchers J.P. Sears, Ken Waldachuk, and Luis Medina, along with second baseman Cooper Bowman. So pretty good deal for the Yankees and the A's. The Yankees needed to shore up the starting rotation and the bullpen. They're doing that with these moves. And they didn't really have to give up any of their really high prospects to make these moves. So I like this, Brian Cashman, and I take back every bad thing that I said about you on Monday morning. Please forgive me. So again, Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino are Yankees. The Trevino-Trevino battery should be a fun thing to watch and won't be confusing for anyone covering the games. We'll have more on this trade on the next Locked on Yankees and any other moves that are made before the trade deadline. The San Diego Padres traded for the best closer in baseball. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Ladies and gentlemen, Javier Reyes here of the Locked on Padres podcast. Celebratory corn dog because... He'd been quiet for too long. He was way too quiet, ladies and gentlemen. AJ Pro is striking with the fury of a thousand rhinoceroses and 27 million jellyfish. I don't know, it's crazy. Joe Musgrove extension, first of all, five years, 100 million. Considering what guys like Marcus Stroman and Robbie Ray and Kevin Gosman got, pretty good deal for the Padres, five years, 100 million. He stays in San Diego, that's great. That was kind of reported on Friday, whatever, but we gotta keep going. Josh Hader coming to the San Diego Padres. And they just kicked Taylor Rogers to the curb. They said, see ya. Also given up in the deal, Eshuri Ruiz, the outfielder who broke out in the minors this year, he got called up, did okay for the Padres. He's going over, as well as Denelson Lament, who unfortunately has, you know, declined very rapidly over the past few years. And then Robert Gasser, one of their top pitching prospects, but not one of their top, top prospects, which is the big deal. You get probably the best closer in the game. I know he's been rough lately, but still, come on, that's just been lately. And on top of that, you did not give up one of your big golden eggs like your Robert Hassel, like your CJ Abrams, James Wood, Mackenzie Gore, 
guys like that, right? So that means there could still be moves to come. The Baltimore Orioles decided that their proximity to a wild card spot was not sufficient reason to keep them from trading away the heart and soul of their team. Mike Elias traded Trey Mancini. Trey's going to the Houston Astros, three-team deal, two pitching prospects coming back, both pretty highly rated. One from Houston, one from Tampa Bay in the deal. Trey Mancini, the heart and soul of the Orioles. Traded, gone, with the O's three games out of a wild card spot. Every quote out of the Oreo clubhouse from every player. We're upset. We're going to miss him. We can't believe this trade happened. If the Orioles plunge into a losing streak, I wouldn't be surprised. Just a depressing day in Baltimore as Trey Mancini is sent to the Houston Astros and I will break down the entire trade. Unfortunately, coming up on Tuesday's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. The Atlanta Braves made a huge move that didn't involve trading anything. It's not a trade, but the Atlanta Braves may have just made one of the biggest deals of the trade deadline as they signed third baseman Austin Riley to a 10-year deal worth $212 million. It also includes an option year in 2033 for $20 million. And this is just an incredible deal for the Atlanta Braves. Austin Riley coming off one of the best months in franchise history, clearly going to be the NL Player of the Month. A lot of people question whether or not 2021 was a a fluke type of year for Austin Riley, or was it a breakout year? Is he really going to be an MVP type candidate for the foreseeable future? Through the first four months of the 2022 season, he has certainly answered that question with a resounding yes as he continues to destroy baseballs. And again, he's just 25 years old, and now the Braves have locked him up through pretty much the majority of his career. Here is another story you need to know. There is an incredible amount of complexity and nuance in the collective bargaining agreement, in the ruling in this Deshaun Watson case, and what comes next. So... To help us figure out what happened and what is next, legal expert and professor at University of New Hampshire Law School, longtime sports analyst at Sportico, Michael McCann, joins me now. And and Michael, um, this was a a case that I think has a lot of people scratching their heads based on the way it was decided. There's something I I need your help to, to explain to me because Judge Robinson looked at the facts the NFL presented and said, we, we understand the facts and believe the NFL side of this, but she still came to the conclusion that six games was the right amount based on precedent and based on fear of future precedent. Can you explain how that works from a legal standpoint? Yeah, that's exactly, you really, you really nailed it. It's really what you just said. It's Judge Robinson agreed with the NFL that Deshaun Watson committed various infractions that amounted to conduct detrimental. So there was no disagreement there. The problem for the NFL is that they argued for a suspension length that has no rhyme or reason based on the collective bargaining agreement, based on other documents. And specifically, the NFL sought a suspension that was one year plus an indefinite period, which is really like a ban if you think about it, right? It's one year plus whatever length goes beyond that. 
And Judge Robinson said, there's no precedent for that. And there's no document that says that's the appropriate punishment. And because of that, she sided, at least in terms of the punishment length, with Watson's camp. So it's an interesting case where she agreed with the NFL that Watson did bad things, but she did not agree that the NFL had had sufficiently explained its suspension arithmetic, really, that it wasn't based on any sort of math. And, and the issue there is notice, because the, argue, the issue is if a player doesn't know that if he commits a certain infraction, he's going to get a certain suspension, then the player isn't on notice to not do that. And this came up with Deflategate, where his lawyers, same lawyers, Jeffrey Kessler and team, argued Brady didn't know. Even if, if you assume he's guilty, he still didn't know that tampering with a football would lead to a four-game suspension. So it's very similar here in that regard. I think the, the layperson, maybe myself included, would say, okay, but just because the NFL has never doled out a suspension of this size, it's usually because, and in this case, it is because we've never seen an infraction like this. So what is the difference between the burden, say, a law or in a court you might have to have versus the NFL, who we've seen in the past can be whimsical and capricious with the way that they dole out punishment? Yeah, and the NFL argued that. The NFL said that we've never seen a situation like this where there are multiple accusers against the same person, all of whom are arguing a very similar set of facts in terms of sexual misconduct during massage therapy. So the NFL, I, I think, rightly argue that this there's no analog to this. So looking at past cases is not instructive as it would be maybe with another player. But the problem with that, as, as Judge Robinson noted, is that there's no document that says that that's correct. And if the NFL wants to create a rule saying, if there are multiple accusers, then the punishment is going to be much longer, then there needs to be a rule that says that. The NFL has a policy saying, or at least a preferred policy saying, six-game suspension for cer uh, certain kinds of sexual misconduct. And Judge Robinson, interestingly, didn't find sexual misconduct here, at least based on how the NFL has defined it. She found other types of misconduct. So again, this really gets down to how, how the NFL constructs, constructs a rule and how is it bargained with the union. And that's where the NFL had issues. Stay up to date on the Deshaun Watson case by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and the Locked On NFL podcast on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get podcasts. The Major League Baseball trade deadline is today, and Locked On MLB has all the breakdowns. Your favorite team has a Locked On podcast, too, that will have rapid reactions to any move that's made. Subscribe now to your favorite team's Locked On podcast on YouTube, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts so you get notified when each episode premieres. Coming up, is there actually a team that can pull off a trade for Juan Soto? The Major League Baseball trade deadline is rapidly approaching, and normally, this time, we would be talking about the big fish, the guys that teams are trying desperately to get. My next guest, Lindsey Crosby from Locked On MLB Prospects, is here to talk to us about the players who might be going out in some of these blockbuster trades. And that's where I want to start, Lindsay. Who is the big fish? The, the player that teams might be angling to try to get in some of these blockbuster packages. You have a player to send out. You want to maximize your return. Who are the guys who could be on the seller's radar to try and go and get? 
Guys on the seller's radar, one of the biggest targets has been Yankees shortstop Anthony Volpe. Uh, consensus top five overall prospect in baseball. The Yankees are seen as a team that best record in baseball, but they've had some pitching injuries. They've had some struggles in the rotation and they need to find some guys. And so everybody has been gunning for shortstop Anthony Volpe. Uh, the big rumor is that they're saving him for a Juan Soto deal. We'll see if that happens or not. One of the big trades that went down before the trade deadline yesterday was the Brewers, who are in first place. So selling is a weird thing for a first place team to do. And not just selling, selling an all-star reliever, their closer who leads the league in saves, Josh Hader, for a slew of prospects over to San Diego and the Padres. What did you make of the haul that the Brewers were able to get back in terms of the prospects and the players that they got in that deal? I think that they tried to strike a balance between getting MLB guys they can use now and getting prospects for the future. And I think they should have either gone one way or the other. So they got Taylor Rogers, who was San Diego's closer, to be their closer. They got right-hand pitcher Denilson LeMay to slot into the rotation. And then they went with two prospects, lefty Robert Gasser and outfielder Stewie Ruiz. And Ruiz and Gasser are good prospects. They're in the back half of the top 10. But to me, you're trying to give some of both worlds. You would have been better to just go all prospects or to go all big league pieces. And trying to split the difference, I think, just ended up being a, a underwhelming return for statistically one of the most dominant closers of all time in baseball. If you're looking at the teams who are going to try and attack this Juan Soto deal most aggressively, and you mentioned the, the Yankee shortstop who, who could be the cornerstone piece of a deal for Juan Soto. Is there a farm system that you look at and go, okay, this is the group that is primed to be able to say to the Nationals, okay, here is this cadre of young players who you can sell to your ownership and to your fans as this is the future of our team because we have to sell on this player, even as we talked about on this show a couple of days ago, I think that is... The terrible that they're selling on Juan Soto, but they're they're apparently doing it. So who is the farm system that that you think has the pieces to make a deal like that work? There's two that I really like as far as that could that could do it. The Cardinals could make it happen, but I think the favorite should be the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Dodgers mm. have shown that they have a fantastic MLB team, and so they have all this prospect depth in the high minors. They have five top 100 prospects that they don't even really have room for right now. They've got catcher Diego Cartaya. They can send to the Nationals. They've got third base with Michael Vargas, second base with Michael Bush, and then two pitchers in Bobby Miller and Ryan Pipo that would fit in nicely with the Nationals contention window. And they have a relationship because they made a, a deal last year for, for Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. So, they have a pre-existing relationship. They're already comfortable with the prospects in the other systems. And I really think that not enough people are talking about the Dodgers going out and getting that final piece to put them over the hump and win a full season World Series by going out and getting Juan Soto. And finally, the trade deadline is a part of the Major League Baseball season that brings with it hugs and handshakes when longtime teammates are split up. It can also bring, well, plenty of awkwardness, as Christian Vasquez experienced last night when he was asked if he's been traded to the Astros. Uh, I think so, yeah. 
How do you feel about being trained with the Astros, Christian? It's a business. It's a business. It seems like that is the moment when he found out he'd been traded to the Astros, the team the Red Sox began a three-game series with last night. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now go find your favorite team's Locked On podcast and make them your second listen. Coming up Wednesday, who won the MLB trade deadline? So at least until tomorrow, stay Locked On Sports today.